Well, we are closing up this series, but before we do, I want to get you excited about the next series, and that is obviously next Sunday begins the Advent season. And um, some of you have been walking with us Wednesday mornings at our early morning prayer time. And we had a special early morning prayer time this Wednesday where we just looked at John 1. And as we started to pray through John 1, God really started to visit me and us about our Advent series. And something that came so clear right through was this John 1, 5, where it says, the light, you know, it says in John 1, 4, it says, in him, in the word, it says, um, was life. And that life was the light of man. And then it went on to say, it goes on to say, and that light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend or the darkness cannot overcome it. And I just thought, ooh, Lord, there's something you're doing in us as a people with this. And we're going to kind of take the traditional approach to Advent where we're going to look at four virtues, right? We've been talking about disciplines. We're going to switch gears and talk about virtues. Next week, we're going to talk about hope. Second Sunday of Advent, we'll talk about peace. The third Sunday, joy. And the fourth, love. And I know these words are so common in our Christianese vocabulary. Sometimes they lose their punch. But I believe that God has a word for us. And he wants to show us how this light or how the hope that we have shines in the darkness or the peace, the joy, the love that we have. It's going to shine through the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And that's as a people of God, we steward this light. And we're just expecting great things during this Advent season. So come and just know that these messages are going to be specifically geared to those who are not usually finding themselves in church. So it's going to be a great time for you to bring friends who might otherwise not come. And I want to invite you all to Christmas Eve. Three o'clock at Christmas Eve, we will have our service at Blueberry Hill with the residents of this, uh, it's a rehabilitation um, elderly nursing home. And that's where we're going to do our Christmas Eve service as we did last year. Last year, the problem is we did it at 7 o'clock and they were all asleep. So this year, <laughs> we, we figured it out. We're going to have it at 3. So I know some of you might have to leave work early, but hopefully we'll actually do it with them. And it's going to be a wonderful time. So join us. Amen? Amen. Okay. Awesome. Well, we are here at the end of our little journey here on Discipline to Go Deep. And I just want to quickly review for us where we have been. We started out about 12 weeks ago, believe it or not. It was August 29th. And we said, hey, this is where we feel like God's leading us. And where he's leading us is he wants us to be a deep people, a people that we see in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, it says, you know, that the vision we, the picture we get is we want to be like a tree planted by streams of living water that bears fruit in season, whose leaves don't wither, and who prospers in all he does. That's what we want. And you and I, we both want that. We said, hey, we want to go deep. In other words, we need a work in our character. We need transformation. We need some depth here. But it's only going to happen if we just get a little disciplined. They say, yeah, we, we want to go deep. It's just going to take a little discipline. So we started looking at some of the disciplines. We started first with a lot of inward disciplines. And we started with prayer. And we decided that prayer was the meeting that we don't want to miss. Yes, you just made me feel so good right now. <clears throat> The fact that any of us remembers anything from September 5th is really exciting. So yes, prayer is the meeting that we don't want to miss. We just, it's a discipline we want to put in our lives. And then we started to look at fasting. And fasting was the way that we unleashed our hunger for God, right? If you're feeling stuck or a little dry, one thing that can kickstart you is a little fast. And it just kind of arrests the flesh, and it's great. And then we went on to meditation. We said meditation is transformation through holy regurgitation, Right? Yes, if we'll sit on a scripture, a small passage, and we just meditate on it, we sit on it, that's how we get transformed. It's a great discipline to include in our little arsenal of disciplines. Then John preached on scripture study. He said, hey, there's food for all. 
You don't have to have an advanced degree in theology to understand or get fed by the Scriptures. In fact, Jesus was really clear that we all need food, God's Word. It's available to us all. Then we transition to some of the more outward disciplines, right? Disciplines that have a working outwardly. We start with simplicity. Simplicity being the way that we get free from pin drop. There we go. College Pastor John, free from anxiety, right? If we can just get over our love affair with stuff, we might be a little more free from a lot of our anxiety. Simplicity. We live simply so others can simply live. We look then at solitude. Solitude is what brings us from loneliness to purpose, from loneliness to purpose, and that if we'll, like Jesus, if we'll seek times of solitude purposefully, that can deliver us from some of our loneliness. Then we went to submission, and Doug, where's Doug? Doug McDougall knows this one. We're free to be, you used to say it all the time, Doug, sorry, I shouldn't put you on the spot, that's, okay. we'll pray for healing after the service, no. <laughs> free to be last. Right? Submission is we're free to be last. In Ephesians it says uh, we, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's just what we want here more and more. God help us. We all have our fleshly edges. And I know the staff certainly sees mine. God help us to submit one to the other. John brought us back to another inward discipline when he looked at listening to the voice of God. Listening to God's voice. And he says, hey, God's speaking. And it's just are we tuning in to listen was the question he posed for us. It's a discipline. Back to the outward disciplines, and just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at service, right? And we said, hey, not every service has to be huge. In fact, the mark of good service is that it's small, it's hidden, and it's free, right? You don't expect anything back. Small, hidden, and free, service. And then last week, Brian Carlson did a super job getting us into the corporate disciplines. What do we do together? What are things that we as the body of Christ do together to get deep? And we worship, right? And in worship, we declare that God is king. We declare that God is king together. And so we get to our last discipline, a corporate discipline tonight. But before I mention it, I want to say one thing. And that is that some of the feedback that I've gotten from some of you is, oh gosh, Neil, all I've gotten is, you know, you talk about an arsenal, but for me it just feels like a bunch of things that I should be doing that I'm not doing all that well. And it just feels like a heavy, it's a list of to-dos. You've basically given me a three-month list of to-dos that I'm not doing. Help. I understand. I understand. And I would, I guess I would give you this kind of counsel by letting you know what happened at the gym this morning, okay? For the first time in about nine weeks, we're back at the gym. We're back at the YMCA. It's wonderful. We had to leave for a little while. So for the first eight months of 2010, January to August, I was pretty good overall about getting to the gym regularly. Then we took a but as I said, a nine-week hiatus. So I show up this morning at the gym, and this is what happens emotionally. There's part of me, the perfectionist Neil flesh, that says, I'm so frustrated that I have to go down, you know, my pace on the treadmill, as I call it. My pace on the treadmill. I have to go back. I have to slow it down. I'm about five or ten pounds less on some of the things that I work out on. And part of me just goes, ugh, ugh. I just want to be back to where I was and just go on. But the reality is I just had a little switch in my heart and I just said, hey, I'm so glad I get to be at the gym. I, we found out that they had a clergy discount, which was awesome. So we're back at the gym. That's, that's why I'm back. And so I said, praise God, I'm back at the gym. And now, you know, just with a little consistency and a little back into it, I'm going to get back to where I was and then be able to progress. 
And I would say when it comes to these disciplines, the same emotional switch can happen with you. These are just pathways for you to find joy and become who it is that you want to be in the Lord anyways, you know? For my body, I want to be happy with my body, you know? I I enjoy the energy that I get from it, you know? And, And just as far as like mental health is concerned, there's endorphins released, and so it's good for me to have some time at the gym so I can make it over the long haul in terms of stress. So I want that. Even though I might not be super happy at 6.30 in the morning that I'm pushing 20 pounds less than I could before. It stinks. But you know what I'm saying? There's just, but I got the vision, so I'm going to do it. Same thing with you. You got the Psalm 1 vision in you, so you just do it with some of these. And the more they become a part of the rhythm of your life, honestly, the more joy you'll find. But so appropriate then that we end today with this discipline because this final discipline is the one that should permeate all the rest. And in fact, none of them make sense without this this one. And that is the discipline of celebration. Everyone say celebration. celebration. Awesome. And we just had it by having our little potluck. Now, in explaining celebration, I need to tell you about a moment that I had. And I have these moments at the strangest times. I call them, they're times when I get undone are times when I just get touched emotionally, and they're always at bizarre times. They're almost never in this service. I mean, God loves me, and I feel blessed, and I'm excited. But it'll be the strangest time that I get visited by God. So four, four falls ago, the one and only Patriots game that I've ever been to, I go to Gillette Stadium. It's fall 2006, and I'm with my roommate, Jim Klinger. We got the tickets, actually, from Lauren Millette. Where's Lauren? Is she working with the kids? So Lauren used to work at the pro shop. She gives us the tickets. And um, just to give you a picture into fall 2006 for me, but it's not really been different from any fall, but I'm just really busy. You know, I'm teaching high school and I'm busy. And then Kelsey and I are actually, we're doing full court press with Young Life, where Young Life is really at this high school that I'm teaching at, just going, going. And so we're just busy with that. And I'm leading a small group at at our church, our sending church, CFCF. So I'm just a busy man. And um, I think Jim and I must have gone to worship at our sending church. We did the first worship set, and then we were out of there, so we get to Foxborough. So we arrive at Foxborough, get out of the car, and we're walking to the stadium, and I experience, for the first time since college, the phenomena of tailgating. Now, you know this phenomena, right? And I'm not talking about riding someone's bumper. I'm talking about the extreme party in the parking lot of Gillette Stadium. And this is how I get touched, I mean, because it blows me away. First of all, I mean, it just, it just created this incredible longing in me. The longing was like this. First, I said, oh, my gosh. Like, some of these people have been here all day, and they're going to stay here all day. Because I know when Jim and I left the parking lot, they were still there, and they were just going to stay until everyone else left. They'd committed a whole day just to tailgating. I said, who can commit a whole day to just a tailgate? Another thing that touched me immediately was just the conviviality, like the friendship, like just the party atmosphere, right? People were outside of their parking lot lines, Tossing footballs with each other, sharing food and beverages with each other, old and young, or just having a great time. And it was so drawing to me. I said, these guys know something that I don't, and it's wonderful. And can we just talk about the evolution of tailgating food? I mean, you'd think that hot dogs and hamburgers would be the fare of the day. But I mean, all of a sudden, tailgates have turned into like chili, New England clam chowder, I mean, I saw bacon-wrapped scallops. Now, who brings bacon-wrapped scallops to a football game? But this is what's happened with tailgating. It's really incredible. And, like, to top it all off, what was incredible to me was, like, the unbridled, un, 
unchained creativity. I mean, who is it that decides to turn the back of their pickup truck into a mobile living room? So they've got their generator and they've got their flat screen TV hooked up in the back of their pickup truck. And this is not just one, but this is several things like this. And I said, these guys know something that I don't. Or they're experiencing a party that I don't experience that often. And I love it. I love it. And so really simply, I believe that God would have us know tonight that celebrating is, celebration is taking the time to tailgate. All right? Can you say that? Celebration. Everyone say celebration. 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 Taking the time to tailgate. Taking the time to tailgate. Come on. And here's how I know it's true. You you think I'm joking, but I found Jesus' tailgate in here. He tailgates, and I'm going to show you. Let's start with Luke 4. Luke 4, Jesus, the tailgater. This is when Jesus' tailgating days begin in Luke 4. Watch this. Celebration, taking the time to tailgate, just following Jesus. He's a tailgater all the way. Here's how I know. I'm in Luke 4. I'm going to start in verse 16. It says, he went to Nazareth. Now remember, this is right after he's been tempted in the desert. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's launching his ministry. He goes back to his hometown where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. I feel like whenever you say that, you have to say, Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying, it's time to tailgate people. I'm in the house. Party on. It's the year of the Lord's favor. And that Hebrew root word, retzon, favor. It means delight. It means good pleasure and goodwill. It means acceptance. It's the year of God's accepting you. It's the year of God's tailgate, if you will. Now, we need to find out what did Jesus mean when he starts to say, hey, this thing is fulfilled in your presence in me. This is what he says, actually. Verse 20, follow along with me. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today, is tailgate day. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, any of those readers, any of his listeners would have known something about the day of the Lord's favor that we need to learn also. And that reference to the day of the Lord's favor was a reference to one thing and one thing only, and that was to the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. So let's look together at Leviticus 25 to find out what is this year of the Lord's favor? What is this year of the Lord's tailgate, if you will? What is the year of Jubilee? Leviticus, third book in the Bible. If there's a pew Bible in front of you, why don't you get it out? If not, we'll put the highlights on the screen, as we always do. Who highlights? A little sports thing here. Watch out. Leviticus 25. What is the book of Leviticus? Let's start there. Leviticus, its original Hebrew name means he called. It means he called. Because what was going on was God was calling the people of Israel to be separate from everyone else by saying, hey, here's how you're going to walk and here's how you're going to be different from the nations around you. So I'm going to give you some law that you follow so you get separate from these others. 
And then later in Greek, this is going to get changed to the book to the Levites, Leviticus, because the Levites, of course, are the ones who are responsible, the priests of the people of Israel. And so about half the book is a lot of priestly code, just what the priests need to do and be. But the other half of the book is rules for everybody, rules about idolatry. God's saying, hey, don't do it. Rules about how we relate to each other sexually. Saying, hey, don't do that stuff because that doesn't reflect my character. Other rules also. Rules about relationships with each other, right? And just the criminal code and things like that. And then, of course, lastly, we have these rules about the annual feasts. And it's in these rules and indications about the annual feast that we find the year of Jubilee. Look, I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Now, let's, let's even stop right there and say, hey, you know what's fun about the year of Jubilee? It's the 50th year because they also, they have another practice already that's described earlier in the chapter that says every seven years, they're going to let the land go fallow. They're just going to let the land have a rest. And they do that. Then after seven of those cycles, at the end of the 49th year, they're going to have a 50th year of Jubilee. And isn't it interesting that the year of Jubilee starts when? On the day of atonement. So I'm going to suggest today that the year of the Lord's favor, that the year of the Jubilee is all about restoration. God wants to restore. And when we celebrate, we celebrate the fact that God restores. It happens on the day of atonement. Normally, Yom Kippur, a somewhat somber holiday in the Jewish tradition, but it's at one minute. It's being restored to God. That's when the Jubilee starts. Then we pick up verse 10. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. God is all about giving everyone a chance to be restored. We get restored to our God. We get restored to our property. Because here's the situation. In, in, the, in Israel... If a person got so poor, of course, they would sell their property. But the, and if, if, a, if a family member couldn't buy it back for them, the guarantee was that, they, hey, at least by year 50, if no one can buy, buy it back for me, it will revert to me. Isn't that a great se- sense of security? Can you imagine what the economic situation would be like here in this country, in this world, if we had the guarantee that even, the, even though things get really tough for me, eventually this thing will be restored to me? Or also in Israel... They could sell themselves. If they got so poor, they could sell themselves as indentured servants, right, as slaves for a season. But the guarantee for an Israelite, for a citizen, was if they were not able to buy themselves out of that servitude, if a family member wasn't able to buy themselves out of that servitude, eventually, at year 50, they could get their freedom back. You see, God wants to restore. Do you you hear the heart of God and He wants to restore? Now, I know not all of us have lost, lost property here. I know not all of us have sold ourselves as slaves and need to get ourselves bought back. But you know what we have lost? We've lost some of our dignity because of sin. Our sin or sins done to us. Some of us have lost our innocence, right, because of our own sin. Our sins done to us. We've lost many things that God wants to restore. So when Jesus gets up in the temple and he says, hey, it's the year of the Lord's favor. Bless you, Carmen Elisa Lynch. May God restore you. 
when Jesus gets up to say this stuff, they know exactly what he's talking about, a restoration that is wonderful and complete and total. And I love some of the words here. In that verse 10 where it says, proclaim liberty. The Hebrew word is deror. And you need to roll your R. Can you guys, do we have any R rollers here? It's deror. That's how they say in Hebrew. If you can't roll your R, I'm so sorry for you. It's okay. Maybe God can restore that to you tonight. We'll pray for you also. But that Hebrew word, the picture of liberty is that of a bird circling up in flight. That kind of crazy, free liberty. Have you guys seen Jonathan Frizz's son, Gabe, when he starts to worship? He starts to twirl like this. And he doesn't care because sometimes he hits this thing. Sometimes he hits this thing. And I get a little nervous. But Gabe, Gabe's in total liberty. He is just twirling around in total freedom. That's what God wants to give to us. Another great word study, really quick. That word for jubilee is yovel. It is just an automatopoetic word. In other words, it's just a word that sounds like the sound of a trumpet. And that is what God is after when he talks about celebration. This is what God is declaring, the jubilee. So why do we take time to tailgate? Because God wants to restore us. We take time to tailgate because God wants to restore you and me. So we have a simple pot like, like this afternoon, a pot luck, excuse me, because God's restoring us and we celebrate. Why else? Why else do we tailgate? Let's turn to the original Isaiah 61 that, that Jesus was reading from. Turn with me there. Isaiah 61. <clears throat> Celebration, taking time to tailgate. Why do we tailgate? Because he wants to restore us. Why else do we tailgate? Let's read Isaiah 61. You're going to see this in its entirety, 1, 2, and 3 on the screen. It says, this is what Jesus was quoting, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. If you're here tonight and you feel poor in your heart, economically poor, know that God's heart for you is that you get good news tonight. You get a good word of God's love for you, his acceptance. That's that favor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I know because I walk with you that some of you are brokenhearted. Relationships that aren't working. Family of origin situations that are tough. Your heart's broken because a lost job or a change in salary. And God wants to bind it up because he can. Jesus was sent, why? To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Some of us are in bondage. A lot of us are in bondage to fear, unbelief, anxiety, sexual sin. We're in bondage. And can I just tell you that Jesus' heart is to proclaim freedom for you and release from darkness where you're blind or where you're a prisoner? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God wants to proclaim a jubilee year over you. And listen, friends, from the time that Jesus was born, the very advent we're about to celebrate, it's been the Lord's favor on humanity so that God could draw all people to himself. He fills in a little bit more. Right? The day of vengeance of our God. Don't worry about that. Don't be too nervous. The vengeance is like vengeance we see in Psalm 103. God says, I will judge the things that oppress you. So where you're oppressed by fear and anxiety, God wants to judge that. That's a day of his vengeance. He wants to take vengeance on the things that are after you. To comfort all who mourn. Do you mourn tonight? God wants to give you comfort. 2 Corinthians 1. He's the God of all comfort. He can comfort you and he wants to. Provide for those who grieve in Zion. Are you grieving today? God wants to provide for you. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Listen, some of us don't like how we look. We don't like ourselves. 
God wants to impart a sense of worth and beauty to you. You are made in the image of God. You're loved by Him, and you need to know it in your core. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came so that you would know in your core that you are beautiful. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Do you mourn? Hey, mourning's a part of life. But I just believe Jesus is dripping with the oil of gladness, and He wants to fling it on some of us tonight so we get glad in our hearts again. Not in a happy, slappy, excuse me, artificial way. Sorry, there's a large glob of spit just came out. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if you saw it, but in the light, it was very big. <clears throat> God wants to give us oil of gladness instead of mourning, okay? And the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I think there's something on us as a people at times. New England has it. There's just a despair that we wrestle with. I think it's also because, you know, Jesus talked about as time went on, people's love was going to grow cold. I feel like we're, we, that happens more and more. Even in my short little lifespan, I feel like people's love is growing cold. And we're in despair at times. But Jesus has come to break that and give us a spirit of praise instead. So why do we celebrate? Why do we take time to tailgate to remember that God wants to set you free? He wants to set me free. He wants to set us free. He wants to restore us. He wants to set us free. And it's great. I want to give us one other thing of why we tailgate, why we take time to tailgate, why we celebrate. And that's in Luke 19. This is where I think, I told you earlier I'd show you where Jesus really was a tailgater. Here it is. Okay? Tailgate time for Jesus. Jesus put on his Patriots face paint. Or whoever the mascot was for Jericho, I'm not sure. Jericho's soccer team, I don't know. Jesus shows up in Jericho and decides to tailgate a little bit with a short man. Here's what it looks like. Luke 19, start with me at the beginning. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho to tailgate and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and was wealthy. Now, normally, wealth would be taken by the Jews as a sign of blessing. But I get the feeling that they probably didn't think Zacchaeus was too blessed. I mean, he is a tax collector. He is a trader, in a sense. He is collecting taxes from his own people to give to the occupiers, the Romans. Zacchaeus is probably not going to win any awards in popularity on, you know, in the Jericho, whatever, um, Rotary Club. He was probably an outcast, probably lonely. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Oh, I wish I could have been there to see this because, I mean, I could just imagine Jesus kind of walking through the street, crowd gathering, you know, Jesus kind of, we know from the book of John, he's always kind of abiding in the Father. Okay, God, what do I do next? And boom, he locks up on Zacchaeus up here on the tree and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. We're going to tailgate. I must tailgate at your house today. We're going to celebrate, okay? What does Zacchaeus do? Verse 6, he comes down at once, welcomed him gladly, okay? Zacchaeus knew what a tailgate was. Jesus knew what a tailgate was. They're going to tailgate together. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a tailgater. Ugh. Right? Religious people don't like tailgating, I found out. 
Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For this, excuse me, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. The last reason we tailgate is because it changes people's lives. It changes people's lives and we celebrate them and we celebrate together. I can't remember the source of the story, but I remember in college hearing either about whether it was um, uh, the YWAM guy, uh, tall guy Floyd McClung, or whether it was um, Tony Campolo in Philadelphia. But one of these guys, one of these teams was ministering to prostitutes in the red light district of whatever city it was. And as they got to know some of these prostitutes, they found out that it was one of these gals' birthdays. And so they tell the restaurant, hey, restaurant, uh, we want to have a little party here. We want to celebrate the birthday of a friend here. Can we do that in this little spot of the restaurant? They say, sure, sure. And so, of course, they invite this woman to whom they've been ministering to. They invite her to come, and they throw her birthday party. And the lady comes to Christ because she is, no one has ever celebrated her birthday. And you see what happens when we celebrate people, it changes their lives. When Jesus tailgated with Zacchaeus, it changed his life. He immediately was convicted of his sin and gave stuff away. And when we celebrate others, that is what happens. Jesus shows up in the house, people get changed. So we need to take time to tailgate, to celebrate. You ever notice how much gets accomplished in social situations? I mean, when you're tailgating, when you're partying. Not about you, but kind of typical North American, just kind of busy schedule and uh, getting things done. And I'm always really thankful when there's social occasions that come on the calendar, right? Birthdays, weddings, and even I've had the privilege of preaching one funeral. And even at the funeral, there's healing in the house because we're celebrating a life that was wonderful, and the family's getting together. And I'm just always grateful for these occasions. You know, you work alongside people. It's so great to have these social times when you can just be together. And I find that oftentimes on the social occasions, like, it's worth 10 meetings at Starbucks because you're just together. It softens things. You're celebrating something together. You get a lot done just relationally. And so that's why we do things like today and have a potluck because it, so much happens relationally. Because God's called us to tailgate a little. And so here's what I, here's what I want to encourage us to do. And some of this comes from, you know, as, as you know, we've been kind of following this series after the Celebration of Discipline book by Richard Foster. But hey, this one's kind of a no-brainer in that we just, we do it. We take time to tailgate. When natural things come along, like Thanksgiving, we enjoy it. Now, what would happen if you kind of took a little Isaiah 61 twist to your Thanksgiving? You know, I was thinking about what if... What if when Kelsey and I are with her family and actually my mom this Thursday, what if we actually took a little moment and said, hey, I've never really said this to you before, but I'm really thankful for you, and this is why. You know what I'm saying? So the, the natural calendar provides opportunity for us to celebrate, but I would just urge you to kind of, if you can push the envelope of the kingdom of God in those times, do it. Take time to tail- tailgate, celebrate, and bring in the kingdom of God in there. I also would encourage us, you know, celebrate when it's not always a super big time to celebrate, right? Someone gets a job promotion. 
Someone, you know, you move into a new house, right? You take lesser things that normally don't throw a party for, but take a moment to celebrate. If you're more of an introvert, it doesn't have to be this huge party. It can be just be a gathering of friends and enjoy it. Celebrate together. Give thanks to God. And if I'm ever really unclear about how I need to celebrate something, I honestly, honestly, just go back to the dynamics of the tailgate. People really creative. I mean, incredible creativity. A lot of shouting, a lot of singing, a lot of high-fiving, a lot of, like, spontaneous football throwing, a lot of food. And we celebrate, and it's wonderful. We take time to tailgate because it changes lives. We take time to tailgate because we celebrate God wanting to set us free, and we take time to tailgate because God wants to restore us. Lastly, I would just leave us with this image about why we celebrate. And it's an image from Nehemiah 8. And this is what I get excited about. If, if we as a people can, doesn't mean we have to do just 20 more potlucks, but I think if we as a people start enjoying celebration for what it is, taking the time to tailgate, both in formal ways, informal ways, <laughs> um, it's going to be good. And this is why, because it actually is warfare. Nehemiah 8, let me bring you there. Nehemiah and some friends who just rebuilt Jerusalem after it having been destroyed years before. For the first time, Nehemiah and some of, her friends, some of his friends, they open up the law and say, gosh, how is, how is it that we're supposed to be? Who should we be? What are we supposed to be doing as the people of God? We haven't done this for a few years. And they start to read from the book of the law. The inference we kind of pick up from here is they get grieved, like the power of God falls on them. And there's such conviction in the place that it's actually super discouraging. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but when the conviction of God falls on you, sorry, conviction is not discouraging. Condemnation is discouraging, but sometimes the conviction of God is so heavy, you just think, oh, God, I'm so aware of my sin right now. and I just can't even move. That was kind of what was happening here. But listen to Nehemiah's words then. I'm going to pick it up. Oh, Nehemiah 8, let's start at verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Not about you, when people weep when they're listening to the Bible, it's usually because the conviction of God is coming on them. But Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Gosh, if there's ever a time in history when the church needed to have the joy of the Lord and that needed to be our strength, it is now. Because as, as I said, I think we're entering into those times that Jesus mentioned. Their love is growing cold and we need the joy of the Lord. We need that to be our strength. That's how we refuel. The holiest thing we could have done today was to have a potluck because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We eat together. We meet together. We enjoy each other. We celebrate for all these reasons we've mentioned. We tailgate in the Spirit because it's how we get our strength. Verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They understood there was some balance there. Like, yes, I have the conviction of God we need to change. But, ah, the balance is, hey, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Jen, I'm going to invite you to come up. And let's have the worship team come on up. We're going to celebrate now, okay? We've been celebrating. We're going to continue to rejoice in the Lord always. 
And I'm going to ask you just uh, three simple words. Can you guys repeat after me? Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find a psalm here. And every time I pause, I just want you to say, Okay, why don't you stand up? We'll get the right psalm here. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I can move that. Thank you. No. Let me yeah, take that away. <clears throat> okay, can we just practice one more time? What do you say? Thank you. Okay. Okay. All right, when I pause, you just say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise the Lord. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of the harbor be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. And make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor. And sing for joy on their pews. May the praise of God be in their mouths. And a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with fetters their nobles with shackles of iron to carry out the sentence written against them this is the glory of all the saints praise the Lord Lord we worship you God we bless you we say you're good God we want to celebrate you tonight God